Hi, and welcome to The Full Bloom Project, a body-positive parenting podcast dedicated to promoting emotional wellness in our children and health at every size for the whole family. Each week, we speak with extraordinary experts and distill everything from scholarly research to self-help books into accessible and digestible daily parenting practices. We're your hosts, Zoe Bisbing and Leslie Block, both New York City-based psychotherapists and mothers on this body-positive parenting journey with you, here to help you help your children fully bloom. A quick reminder that this podcast is for general information and educational purposes only, and is not intended for and shouldn't replace advice from a medical or mental health professional. Welcome back to the Full Bloom Podcast, episode number 58. It's just me today. This is Leslie Block as um, Zoe is spending time snuggling with her third child um, on her maternity leave. So... Get used to my voice for a little while, and um, we have a really exciting show today. This season, our theme is body-positive parenting in real life. If you'd like a body-positive parenting question of your own answered, please consider becoming a patron of the podcast at www.fullbloomproject.com slash Patreon, P-A-T-R-E-O-N. Patron support allows us to keep this podcast going strong and your questions allow us to customize our content for you. So this week, we're taking a slight shift away from answering listener questions to have a check-in about the real-life successes and challenges of body-positive parenting. We're excited to talk with a fellow mom about her lived experience as a parent in the trenches working to raise a family without diet culture. We're so excited to be joined this week by Una Hansen, an educator and parent coach in the LA area. She is passionate about protecting children's relationship with food and their bodies. She runs the public Facebook page, Parenting Without Diet Culture, and gives parent workshops on a range of topics, including body image, resilience, and eating disorder prevention. Una, welcome to the Full Bloom Podcast. Thank you. I'm glad to be here. We're so glad to talk with you, and this is a, a special um, episode that we're recording called kind of Body Positive Parenting in Real Life. Um, so let's start with just getting a sense of what your background is and what you do. Yeah, so I started out as a classroom teacher um, at the secondary school level, and I also coached. Uh, and when I had my first child, I shifted into more private tutoring and then ultimately, you know, volunteering like crazy at the local public elementary school. And, you know, I taught in independent schools, so I had never taken any education classes. And once I saw my own child, you know, like learning, um, you know, kind of from her perspective, I really was hungry to learn more about, about how kids learn best and, um, you know, how to teach for engagement. And so I went back and got a master's in educational psychology. So I'd had a master's in English because I was teaching English, um, but I really wanted to think about, you know, how, how we teach and how we learn. So the Ed Psych program really opened my eyes to a lot of, you know, things about the way children and adults uh, learn. And I got really passionate about single gender 
education. Um, and what's interesting is that in Los Angeles, there's no uh, secular boys' school, although there, hmm. there are quite a few schools for girls. Um, there are some Catholic boys' high schools, but that's the only option for boys, really, and in this huge city <laughs> that has a lot yes. of options for girls. So I actually launched a pretty massive project that uh, did not come to fruition, but I learned a lot. So another teacher and I uh, worked for about four and a half years to try to start a school for boys. And that meant meeting with a lot of educators, traveling around the country, and meeting with a lot of parents. So we did a lot of parent education events. And that's what really kind of made things start to click for me about, about what what I can really bring to kind of the field of education. And it was really working with parents. I mean, I love kids. I love working with adolescents. But I, I found that kind of supporting the parents really had like sort of a trickle-down effect to the whole family. And the parents really need a lot of support. So uh, about a year ago, um, I you know officially launched my parent coaching business. So I work with parents of teens and tweens kind of going through the rough stuff of adolescence. Um, and my one of my areas of focus is helping families raise kids who have a, a healthy relationship with food and body because we had a personal experience in our family that taught us uh, more than we ever wanted to know about that. Um, so I had a child develop an, a very serious eating disorder um, about two and a half years ago. So I had my crash course um, in learning, you know, everything I could possibly learn about eating disorders, their, um, you know, the causes, but also sort of the ways to support recovery. And so I'm really passionate about giving parents the tools that they need to lower the risk for their kids, um, not just for eating disorders, but for just, you know, sort of that that lifelong struggle that so many of us have, right, because of living in diet culture. Um, so that's, yeah. that's brought me where I am today. It's a really wonderful story. I'm it's total tangent, but I'm curious anyway. I'm going <laughs> to ask you, what got you interested in in this this single gender school? It sounds like that there was kind of this this turning point there. I'm just curious about that. Right. So I had gone to a, an all girls school starting in seventh grade, and mm-hmm. it totally changed my life. And I had researched in grad school, um, you know, about the benefits of single gender education. I was really interested in the sort of debates that were happening. Um, There were a lot of charter schools opening for single gender at the time. That was sort of a hot thing. And Mm -hmm. um, but a lot of the ways that certain schools were approaching it were um, not really well founded in in research. It was a little bit more about stereotypes. Um, And my my older child is a girl and there were so many options for her. And so then when I had a son, <laughs> I started thinking, gosh, it's strange that there aren't the same options for boys. And, you know, I had a lot of myths about, uh, well, we know it's good for girls, but is it really good for boys? And the research that, that we did really supported the idea that, um, you know, boys can learn really well. Not, you know, it's not for everyone, but boys should have the option to learn um, in that environment, because there are just more ways to be a boy in a boys' school, just as there are more ways to be a girl in a girls' school. So you're not as you're not as likely to be put into kind of a stereotypical box of one way to be. You know, I haven't really thought about that at all, and so it just is something that I'm curious about, and, and particularly curious about maybe the the lessons that you just learned from that, really around how to be a 
a girl or a boy or um, a non-binary individual, you know, in, in the education system. And then wondering kind of how you've how you've bridged that into managing diet culture in, well, in your family, but also how you're helping families with that. I'm just thinking about all of the, it sounds like there are, there are a lot of benefits to being a girl in a girl's school and that there's a lot of different ways to be. Perhaps it's easier to be in one's body as it is, or there's potential for that. So thinking that way and then thinking, okay, so it sounds like you took all of this learning and you realized that what you really wanted to do was work with parents and helping them navigate these challenging teen tween years and that became even further refined into really helping navigate kind of the prevention of or really thrive their kids thriving. Um, and you mentioned diet culture. So I, I'm just curious, kind of how is it all, how is it happening? How are you helping? <laughs> What's happening in those sessions right. <laughs> with so parents? I think one thing that I always try to emphasize with, um, with parents is that, you know, boys and girls really aren't that different. I mean, all of our data shows us that, you know, the the overlap is considerable, right? Like whether we're talking like neurobiology or, um, you know, all kinds of, of issues, they're just, you know, there aren't these massive differences, but that boys and girls experience the world differently. And so I think it helps parents to realize that, you know, when, when we think about nature versus nurture, you know, that a lot of the ways that our kids are growing up, you know, it's being informed less by biology and, and, and more by kind of the culture without us even realizing it. Um, and that really obviously connects to diet culture because we, it's so normalized that it, it's almost invisible. So diet culture, you know, has this way of making us feel like that's the norm, that if you aren't eating in a way that's always um, geared toward trying to shape your body in a certain way, that that's sort of unusual, right? That our sort of innate, um, natural way of relating to food and our body and the world, you know, has been kind of taken over, hijacked by, by diet culture. So I really like helping parents kind of take a step back and see the influences that are shaping the way we, the way we all think. Uh, and again, I think in you know, maybe particularly in California and in Los Angeles, there's so much pressure on appearance. It's maybe even a, a little more heightened than in the rest of the world, particularly for parents who, let's say, work in the entertainment industry or they're in sort of the fitness and wellness field. Uh, it's It can be really hard. And I think my main approach is that parents uh, don't have to feel guilty or judged that we're all doing the best we can and the culture is so powerful. And so we can kind of be a little more compassionate with ourselves in terms of what we may have said or done wrong. So, you know, quote unquote wrong in the past. Um, and that we always get do-overs with our kids. Um, you know, whether it's the next day or the next year, we can always go back and tell our kids, you know, I realized I learned something and I want to try something a little bit different. And that kind of moment of repair with a child is so powerful, whether that's about a discipline issue or a diet culture issue. 
um, you know, can be can be anything. Um, that repair is so powerful. And I think especially right now, while we're, you know, pretty much locked down in our homes with our kids, we're spending a lot more time together, which has, you know, some some benefits, but there's also more chance for kind of friction. And, you know, we're probably losing our tempers a little more than we would. Um, and it's okay to be human and make those mistakes and lose our tempers and say the wrong thing um, in the moment. And what's really powerful is kind of going back later in the day or the next day in a calm moment and having that conversation with our kids. And I think that's really empowering for parents. You don't have to get it sort of right the first time. You don't have to be perfect. In fact, there's a lot of benefit to showing our kids that we make mistakes and how to make that repair. Absolutely. That, that just modeling for them that we can change our minds um, and we can acknowledge it and we can kind of say, oh, I think that wasn't quite what I wanted to do. I'm, I'm learning to try to do it differently. Um, it's just so powerful. So I think it's one of those things that we can, we can just, we can't do it enough um, in parenting. I'm wondering how you have been able to even approach identifying diet culture in your family and also help families kind of identify that and name it within their family. I've, I've found that a lot of listeners are starting, like they're understanding the concept and they can really, really relate to, yes, we have this, this culture. And when, now that I see it, it's everywhere, but before it it felt completely normal, like that invisible, um, descriptor that you use, but how are you helping families start naming it, start talking about it, start making it less invisible? Right. And, you know, and it can be such a paradigm shift. It can be, you know, sort of once, like you said, once you start to understand diet culture, then it's like everywhere. Um, so I, it really depends on, you know, sort of who the, who the parent is or who the family is. Or when I speak in um, larger groups, like at workshops or at schools, obviously now they're all webinars, but um, <laughs> uh, when they used to be in person, you know, you really have to get a sense of what people are coming in with as far as their uh, prior knowledge. I know for me, you know, I, as I said, I went to a girl's school where we learned a lot about, um, you know, the beauty standards and, you know, the unrealistic expectations on women's bodies. I felt like I had sort of an intellectual understanding of it myself. And I very much wanted to protect my own kids, especially my daughter, from these messages. But even I, you know, consciously trying to create an environment that was free of diet culture, I made so many mistakes because of the insidiousness of diet culture. And so I really have a lot of empathy for parents that are either scratching their heads or are confused because it it does take time to really process all of what diet culture has sort of woven into the fabric of our lives, right? So I think what makes it particularly tricky now is the sort of health and wellness aspect of diet culture. And obviously, I mean, Christy Harrison has done a phenomenal job of educating um, people through her podcast and her book about sort of this wellness diet. And I know you and Zoe have talked about this as well. Um, You know, that parents think, well, I'm not trying to make my kid thin to look a certain way. I want them to be healthy. And so I think that is that piece, the sort of health myths about weight, 
mm-hmm. that I think is the hardest for parents to wrap their heads around because they're it it feels like it should be true, right? It feels right to a lot of parents, um, and it, because it gets you know reinforced even in the pediatrician's office. Um, so that part, you know, kind of teasing apart the the relationship between weight and health, uh, that takes some time, and you know, it's it's definitely an uphill battle, I think, because we are swimming upstream. But I've seen I've seen the light bulb go on for so many parents, so I know it can happen, and it is such a relief. Like you can see parents' shoulders drop, you know, in when you're in a room with with them and that sort of sense of relief, like, oh, I, I don't have to control my child's weight in order for them to be healthy. It's like this huge sense of, of relief because we know diet culture can really take up a lot of brain space um, and it takes up a lot of our energy. And it is this sort of Sisyphean task. Like you're, it's never, you're never going to get there in diet culture, right? Even someone who objectively would be considered maybe like the thin ideal, probably wouldn't even call themselves thin, right? They would feel like, well, they're always always just out of reach. It really is a relief for parents to get off that, you know, sense of, I hate to use the word treadmill, but, you know, to get off that kind of this sense of never really being at peace with this project that parents feel like they have to take on. And when we really expand our understanding of health, it's just, it makes so much more sense on like an intuitive you know, deeper level as a parent, like, oh, they're, you know, they're, my child's health cannot be captured on a BMI chart. Um, and it, it, it actually kind of, when everything clicks into place, I think parents just feel that deep sense of resonance, like this makes sense, especially if parents themselves have, have been in a larger body and have always been told they have to do these things to try to change themselves. They, like, they often know on a really visceral level, like, these things don't work and it doesn't really make you healthier necessarily. So in fact, it often is counterproductive on so many levels. So I think it's, you know, it takes some time, but I've seen so many parents kind of come to this understanding and it's, it's really powerful and beautiful when it happens in that moment. It is. It's, it's just a, a moment where you're kind of feeling like, okay, we're all we're all playing on the same field now or on the same team now. I, you know, I'm thinking about just being, like you said, with our family so much more right now um, and noticing a lot of um, parents reaching out or making comments about about weight right now and and health during covid and wondering what what you're doing in your house to manage that um you know what you're doing and what you recommend families do when there's this kind of well-meaning like almost like this camaraderie that's happening with this like diet talk um or wellness talk how are you how are you handling that in your family? How have you handled that in your family? How would you recommend people handle that now? It's a tough one. I think we all know that, you know, humor, especially self, self-deprecating self humor can be kind of a stress relief um, during a, an anxiety provoking time, which is what we're in right now. Um, but I, so I have a lot of compassion for people who are, let's say, making jokes about, you know, weight gain or 
posting, you know, the memes are just everywhere. Um, the, yeah. And um, so I've talked in my family, we've talked a lot about, you know, having compassion or, you know, about, you know, why someone might post something like that. You know, why are they expressing anxiety about gaining a little weight when there's this massive pandemic going on, right? And it makes sense that it's easier to kind of latch on to this one particular anxiety that's very tangible rather than this sort of amorphous unknown uh, of the pandemic. So, you know, it's part of me wants to shut it down. And I, you know, I definitely in my own personal life have, you know, reminded my friends and family not to post or ask them not to post fat phobic memes and shared many articles. <laughs> that's what I do. Um, <laughs> um, but I also know that some people just aren't ready to let go of that yet. So we talk about kind of, we try to unpack why, why someone would make a joke like that now, especially. And so in our family, you know, we, we have really worked over the last couple of years to help our kids identify diet culture. So when we're watching a favorite TV show, even a children's movie, you know, I think that's normal for a lot of kids to want to watch sort of nostalgic old, you know, Disney movies or old favorites right now. That's a really common, um, you know, urge right now. Uh, and it's amazing how even in movies geared toward really young children, there are all kinds of fat phobic so-called jokes, right? Yes. And, you know, advertising um, everywhere. You know, we were watching a cute you know, video on YouTube as a family and the ad that came up before it was all about, you know, the latest brand name diet trend that says it's not a diet, but it really is. Um, So the nice thing is that in our family, we've gotten to a point where we can sort of just say diet culture and roll our eyes and kind of it's externalized, right? We're not taking that in as like, oh, is that something I should be thinking about? So I think it really helps families to you know, talk to kids and give them a language. Um, you know, for an older child, you might use the phrase like health propaganda, right? Um, you know, younger kids, you can talk about, you know, fat jokes and why Why does someone think they're funny, but why, what are the problems with telling a joke that's based on someone's body size? Um, I think the diet company ads and the, the, the weight loss type ads are, you know, they're a little easier to identify And so that might be a place to start for some families. You know, why is someone trying to sell weight loss right now during a pandemic, right? Um, It's not a good idea anytime, but why, you know, why are they doing that? And kind of helping, especially, you know, tweens and and older, helping them understand the way our, you know, the way our economy works, right? That if people feel bad about themselves and they're told if they buy something, they'll feel better. Um, That's a really powerful motivator to spend money. So kind of helping them build that sort of that media literacy um, that they can start to see the world as like it's everything isn't exactly as it appears, right? There's some things going on behind the scenes that we need to be aware of. So that's that's how we've been addressing it in our family. And, you know, one thing I'm hearing from parents um, with concerns is like kids who are just snacking all day long. And I think a lot of parents snacking, you know, because snacking is kind of vilified in diet culture in general. A lot of parents are coming to me with anxiety about you know, what, what should I do <laughs> when my kid just seems to want to snack all day and all they want to eat now are, you know, chicken tenders and mac and cheese or what have you. And so I've been kind of helping families understand sort of the, the importance of comfort food and nostalgia in managing anxiety and 
that parents can kind of relax. Like it doesn't mean their kid is only going to eat those two foods forever. It's, it's mm-hmm. a te- this is a temporary situation. And also helping families think about things like division of responsibility and having family style meals, all the things that I know, you, you know, you and Zoe have talked a lot about. Um, so kind of helping, reminding parents that, you know, having some structure is really helpful, but also being a little more relaxed and, and non-judgmental in your own family can go a long way right now. Yeah. Yeah. I, um, I think I'm just feeling very, very compassionate or, and empathetic with, with parents who are, you know, we're all just kind of exposed to our kids all the time now where if you have kids who've been in school or away at summer camp, like it's, we're actually observing our kids way more than we typically do. And, um, it's easy to have that become anxiety provoking. I think it's just so important to remember, like our kids need their independence too, you know, and this is new for them and they're, they're coping just like we are. And, um, and just reminding them of that there are so many different strategies that we do that and that kids do that and just try to stay stay connected to to the basics of like the Ellen Satter models and division of responsibility. Um, one of the things that I've noticed as a parent, um, and my kids are are young, they're five and seven, but um, and, and it sounds like you have some older kids, um, but I'm you know they're they're in school right now and, um, they're getting information that I'm seeing, like all of the communication that's happening between them and their teachers. And one thing I've noticed in particular is like you said, kind of on YouTube, like the, the physical education teacher is linking to, um, things on YouTube or even like the science teacher linking to things on YouTube and seeing the ads, um, and just, getting so angry that like, why are these ads allowed to be, you know, on like in front of a science video that the kids are going to be watching, you know, and, and even like a fitness video, you know, that, that have these kind of talk about that just, just diet culture, culture is baked in. And I'm wondering if you've had to communicate with your child's teacher school about these concerns. Um, what was it like? What do you recommend? Oh, it's such a good question. Uh, I do have some personal experience, and I've also coached some other families on how to handle it in their children's schools. So, yeah, my kids are older. Uh, my older one just turned 17 yesterday. Um, oh, it's still shocking to say that. <laughs> um, <laughs> and then my my little one will be uh, 12 in just a couple of weeks. So, yeah, I think with the school curriculum, especially when it's like, you know, the actual health curriculum, um, there's that piece. And then, like you said, now that they're getting all this online instruction, they're exposed to kind of a whole, like even broader um, array of uh, messages. I think the hardest thing is that by the time you're aware that this message has been transmitted to your child, the sort of the damage has been done, right? It's often Mm -hmm. kind of responding to something that's already happened. Um, And if you're a teacher, you know, there's not much. You can't go back in time. These kids can't unsee or unhear these messages. Uh, but there is again that idea of rupture and repair. So I do think teachers have an opportunity to talk about these issues with their students. But as a parent talking to a teacher or an administrator, 
Uh, I think it's really important to come from a a place of calm. I, I completely get the panic feeling of, oh my gosh, my child has just heard this horrible message about weight or body size or food. Um, you know, my own, I remember my son coming home and saying he was only supposed to have X number of grams of sugar a day. And he was starting to read labels when he was in elementary school. And so it can stir up that panicky feeling. And if you had, you know, a severe situation like we've had in our home, you know, it can take you, you can catastrophize really easily. So I totally get that. And I think it's important to kind of feel that, you know, that kind of anger, the fear that it stirs up in us, because that's telling us this is important. But we also have to kind of take a breath and make sure we approach our child's school with a calm and you know compassionate um, take. So right now, obviously, we can't have face-to-face meetings. Uh, when we can, I think that's always the best. You know, if you can have a quick meeting with a teacher, obviously now phone calls or you know Skype or Zoom is probably a good idea. I, I wouldn't send off the three-page email with links and, you know, which, which trust me, I have done, you know. Um, <laughs> uh, sometimes it helps to write that, that kind of angry long email and then not actually send it, uh, but rather to send the quick email saying, I had some concerns about something my child heard in the lesson yesterday. Can we have a conversation about that? Um, that gives you a little more time to calm down as well. Um, and it's also not going to put the teacher on the defensive. And so when you do talk to the teacher, I think there's there's one word that is so powerful in communication between family and school, and that word is and. So the power of and. So when we go to a teacher and say, you know, my child loves your class, but, and then the minute we say the word but, it puts the teacher on the defensive. But if you can come in and say, my child loves your class, and I had some concerns about something that happened in science yesterday, that and is just, is an invitation to keep listening. So this applies to anything. It doesn't have to be diet culture. But anytime you have to have a, maybe a difficult conversation with a teacher, if you can remember the power of and, I think you'll get better results and have a better relationship with the school. I do think it's worth talking to schools. If your child is, I would say, middle school and up, depending on their maturity, I think they can also advocate for themselves. If they have had some education at home from you or from, you know, maybe books they've read about some of these topics. So I think giving kids a chance to speak up is really, really important when it's appropriate. Um, and parents, uh, yeah, have a lot of, you know, things to offer a school. And listen, schools are really trying, you know, everyone's trying their best right now. Obviously, a teacher can't control which ads are going to pop up on on YouTube. And so I think um, that brings us to, like, the bigger picture, which is we have to give our kids some resilience to some of these messages because we can't keep them in our little bubble forever as much as we would like to. Um, Mm -hmm. You know, I do think we should make our homes a safe haven. And I loved your guest, Dr. Hart, talking about kind of drawing that circle or that line around your your young child and keeping the messages out as long as you can. Uh, But once our kids are school age, we really have to arm them with that resilience and to to notice the things that don't feel right to them based on what we have taught them in our homes. Yeah, it's really been interesting um, having, you know, my kids around so much because they're seeing me work and seeing me um, go into my office, you know, and work with with families and individuals. And my it's actually been a really wonderful opening for me to talk to my um, seven year old. She's just been so curious um, 
about what I'm doing in there. And, um, she's, you know, we've been able to talk about just diet culture and it, it, it's been hard. Um, even for me, you know, who is working on this all the time and thinking about this all the time to talk about it with her in a way that, um, feels like, uh, is meaningful and is effective. And so in some of these, these times when, you know, an ad has come up or a couple days ago, it was like a, a workout video for physical education. And I just said, you know what, I think let's find something else. You know, this, this is talking about bodies in a way that just really makes me uncomfortable. Um, and I think there's so many other ways to move your body. Let's try to think of something else, you know? And, um, I think it is important because for a while I just like try to find something else, you know, I would just try to kind of shield, but now I'm noticing really talking about it seems to be a lot more effective for at least, you know, the, the seven-year-old. I think the five-year-old is not noticing as much as um, maybe the seven-year-old. But I, I'm wondering if, you know, for more of the kind of the tween teenager social media conversation, I wanted to, I know you wrote a recent article about the Adele transformation and um, that kind of, that came up in my house too. And I'm just wondering what you have to say about how to help kids navigate this scene, you know, this scene of, of the, what is it? The, the phrase like glow up, right? (laughs) Right. right. Um, You know, it's funny that you, that you use that because it's, it is really a tween like, word um that one of my one or two of my clients have used a couple times my adolescent clients and I'm like oh yeah that's what that is okay we have a name for it now um so I wanted to hear what you had to say about that yeah I mean I have I had really big feelings about um all the media attention um around that particular celebrity story but again as with all of these things I think they're great conversation starters with our kids and with with tweens enough, I think it's really important that we not come in with this sort of top-down lecture mode um, because it's just not that effective. And I think we'll sound like uh, the adults in the Peanuts cartoon, you know, wah, 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 wah. Um, so I think it's really helpful to ask kids, you know, why are these before and after photos so popular? You know, why do they get so many likes? And then stop talking. Let your let your tween or teen give their response, and then you'll kind of know how you know where they're coming from. Um, I think you know the makeover uh, motif. You know, it is very appealing. I think about you know when we when we read little kids the story of the ugly duckling, right? This idea that um, you know that we're all someday going to transform into these beautiful creatures that everyone can see how beautiful we are but of course the danger there is that we're still talking about outward appearance right so i think it's important that we remind our kids that they are so much more than what they look like uh, i love um i know you know the kite sisters um you know beauty redefined you know mm-hmm. re- reminding kids and, and adults that you know you are more than a body and um, so just asking kids, you know, why, why these, especially the before and after photo thing, I mean, those get a lot of, um, just a lot of response. Like it really is a very highly charged um, image to take in as a human being. And I think especially as a young adolescent, right, this idea that, you know, in a 
matter of days or weeks with the right products and the right lighting, you know, I could, I could look so different. Um, and so that idea of identity and, you know, how kids are, kids are trying on different identities and we don't want to squash that, you know, that is normal. Um, and we want them to have that kind of experimentation and that playfulness. Um, but we want to make sure that they're not giving themselves one narrow way of how they should look. Um, so I really think it's just about asking questions, you know, being calm and compassionate when we ask these questions and, and really genuinely curious, you know, we don't want to come in with like an inquisition kind of mode. Like, why are you liking that picture? (laughs) Um, I mean, that might be the gut feeling inside of you. And I definitely have had that feeling myself. I get it, but we're not going to get very far with that. And if we, if our kids feel ashamed of what they like, like literally like, or with a click, you know, um, click as a like or a heart, um, you know, that is going to really shut down their ability to have a conversation with us. So I think just having that calm, curious approach um, can get that conversation going. And then we can understand more where where they're coming from. And if there are really deep issues around body image and appearance, um, that's probably going to come out in that conversation. Yeah. So that, just so you know, everyone, I'll link to that article because um, it was a really nice article that you wrote. So people can read a little bit more of what you have to say about that. Um, but to end, as we always do, we'd love to hear what um, you would recommend if each parent listening to this podcast took away and did just one thing on the regular, what's the one thing you would recommend they do to help their child and tween and teen fully bloom? I, of course, knew you would ask this. So I had some, I had a lot of thoughts about it. And I think the most important thing is that we, you know, assuming that we've already made our home a safe haven, you know, with inside our home, diet culture isn't being promoted, that we do educate our kids to recognize diet culture, which I know we've already already touched on. But I think if we can build our kids' vocabulary and um, media literacy around some of these issues, then we know when they leave our bubble that they still have this little bit of armor around them to protect them from whatever advertising or, you know, other messages might might come their way or, you know, messages from peers too. Um, so giving them some, some of the tools and the language to say, oh, that's diet culture, you know, and roll their eyes or whatever kind of the you know, responses that is, feels natural in your house. Um, I think that is really the best way to, to launch them into, you know, the outside world once they can actually go back out <laughs> into the outside world. Um, I think that is a really powerful thing and a gift we can give our kids. I love that. I don't think anyone's uh, answered it quite that way. And I, I, I just think being able to kind of label it and name it um, is such a valuable skill for for our kiddos um so thank you so much for your time and we'll be sure that people can find you um, and connect to you um, if they want to hear more great thank you
so that's our show. We would love to hear any reactions or questions that came up for you during this episode or any of your body positive parenting in real life moments. So please send us an email at info at fullbloomproject.com. And as always, if you like what you're hearing, we would really appreciate you leaving us a rating or review on iTunes so more people can find the podcast. And please consider becoming a patron of our podcast and visiting fullbloomproject.com slash Patreon, that's P-A-T-R-E-O-N, so that we can keep producing and delivering this content to you. Thank you all for listening and remember to tune back in next time for more body positive parenting wisdom.